You're not used to seeing me come up here after the kids are dismissed. You expected the worship team. But this morning's a little bit different, um, and you'll see why as we get to the end of my time of sharing and preaching. Um, and it won't be as long as normal either, because we're doing some other things. You may have noticed the crosses up here and stuff like this, and I'll leave you curious for now. Um, but today we're starting a new sermon series. So we've been doing a sermon series from the early chapters of John called Encountering Jesus. And we walked through, I'm not, I think it was eight encounters with Jesus. It was eight. We're just, we looked at the different people as they came to, to meet him for the first time um, and what that was like. And today we start a series called Dining with Jesus. And I don't know if you've ever wondered about what it would be like to sit down for a meal with Jesus. He did this a lot. You read the Gospels and you look at the stories, and a lot of them happen around the dinner table. A lot of them happen with food and the questions and the conversations that come up with that. Um, and I wonder, I wonder what it would have been like. I look forward to finding out and spending that time and just enjoying a meal with him. The Gospel of John, though, more than any of the other Gospels, gives us a window into what this might have looked like, because the Gospel of John is structured a little bit different than the other three. The other three mix together throughout the whole thing, um, people encountering Jesus, Jesus spending long time teaching the crowds, doing miracles, and spending time specifically with his disciples. And they're all together throughout all the chapters. But in the Gospel of John, he divides it up more into sections. So for the first 12 Gospels of John, the focus is on Jesus encountering the public and teaching among them. And there's not a lot of time spent. There's some, but there's not a lot of time spent in those early chapters with just Jesus and his disciples, with just him and his close friends and his followers. And the reason for that is because when you hit John chapter 13, you get five chapters of that all at once. And he puts it all together in one meal. They sit down for the Passover feast, and we get to watch that whole thing in detail. And so we're going to walk through some of those five chapters as we lead up to Easter. There's not enough time to do everything in all the detail we could, just as there wasn't, we didn't want to spend, because you could have spent a good half a year on the first 12 chapters of John, but that's a lot. We just did eight weeks, and, um, and so now we're going to do six weeks of this leading up to Easter. And we start in John chapter 13. And if you've wondered what a dinner with Jesus would be like, the beginning of this story is incredible. Um, because before they sit down and talk and eat and share the food, Jesus does something totally unexpected. And so that's what we're going to start with, is looking and seeing what that is. And as we do here each Sunday, I'm going to ask you to please stand for the reading of the word. We're in John chapter 13. We're going to read the first 20 verses. It'll be on the screen, but if you like to have it in front of you, feel free to pull out your Bibles or your phones or whatever you like to use. And um, yeah, let's... Let's hear the word of the Lord. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. So He got up from the meal, took off His outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around His waist. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash His disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around Him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those who I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of Scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now, before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. And let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for your goodness and your grace. I thank you for your humility and that you came not to serve, to be served, but to serve. I pray that this morning you would open your word to us and teach us and that we, like the disciples, would come to learn what you have done for us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the central moment here is when Jesus takes off his robe puts on a towel, and washes the feet of his disciples. And this is a huge and unexpected and shocking thing for him to do. And Peter's reaction shows us this. Um, if you've read through the Gospels a few times, you're used to Peter being the kind of brash. He speaks up more than the others. Um, he, he does tend to put his foot in his mouth once in a while. But in this case, his reaction is pretty much right on the money. Because washing feet is not something anybody really wants to do. Um, and not just because it was disgusting, though it was. We're talking about a time when people mostly just wore sandals, so open shoes, and when there were no um, sewer systems in the way that we would think of them. A good city would have some kind of little ditch on the side of the road for that kind of stuff to run um, when it rained and these kind of things, it would get cleaned out a little bit. But that was, that was as good as it got. So your feet were, feet were not particularly clean. Um, the duty of washing feet was considered so low 
that you wouldn't even give it to your Jewish slaves. If you were a Jew and you had some slaves who were Jewish and some slaves who weren't, um, the ones who weren't Jewish had to do that because like, it was very, very humiliating and, and very low to wash someone's feet. Um, the last person in the room who you would ever expect to wash anybody's feet would be the person with the most authority, the most honor, and the highest position. And certainly in this room, that was Jesus. That person never did this, ever. It just didn't happen. And for them to do this was, in a lot of ways, offensive. Because, like, what are you communicating when you stoop down to wash someone's feet? In a society like the Greco-Roman and Jewish societies of this day, taking on an act of that kind of humility was to literally lower yourself socially. And you're basically saying to everyone in the room, like, you thought I was this guy who had all this authority and had all this honor and had all this position, and you've treated me this way, but you were totally wrong. That's not who I am, and I'm not worthy of this, and you should be leaving now. Right? This would be the expected response if you had come to dinner with a host thinking that that's who they were, and then they washed your feet. And so Peter says to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus' response is quite shocking. He says to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. In terms of the harshest things Jesus ever says to his disciples, this is right up there with get behind me, Satan, which he says to Peter on another occasion. <laughs> yes, of course, it's Peter that he says that to. And that's when Peter says he can't go die on the cross. Jesus has just told his disciples that he has to go to Jerusalem and he has to be crucified, um, and that's the path before him. And Peter says, it will never be. And Jesus turns to him and says, get behind me, Satan. You have the mind of men and not of God, right? That's a pretty harsh thing to say, but so is this. Because the whole way along, Jesus has been preaching that in him are all of these amazing things. In him is eternal life. He's the light of the world. He's the way and the truth and the life. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. The Gospel of John is full of all of these I am statements. I am this and I am that. And if you want any of these things, you have to have a part in me. And now here he is saying to Peter, if you don't let me do this, you're out. And so Peter's next response is as radical as his first one. Well then, don't just wash my feet. Wash me all over um, because I definitely want to be a part of you. And so you have this central act of incredible humility and incredible service and of lowering, lowering himself lower than any of the disciples would have thought that Jesus could or would have done. And around it, both before and after, come two things that show us that this action is even deeper and more meaningful than all of that. The social context provides enough. It's already incredible and shocking and unbelievable. But what John tells us before Jesus asks, and what Jesus or acts, sorry, and what Jesus says after he acts, take us even further. So the first thing is the context. Before the dinner starts, John gives us this six-verse introduction. He tells us 
that Jesus knew his time had come. He tells us this twice, actually, at the very beginning and then a little bit later, that Jesus knows what is about to happen. He knows that he is about to die. He knows that he is returning to the Father. Further, he knows how it's going to happen. He knows that one of the 12 people in the room, one of his closest friends, one of the apostles, one of the people whose feet he is about to wash, has betrayed him. That how this is going to happen is through Simon, or sorry, Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. Um, And he still washes his feet. Now think about this. This is his last meal. And he knows it's his last meal. What would you do at your last meal? Would you wash the feet of everyone with you? Most of us, if we were heading into our last meal, would look at that as an opportunity to be served one more time, to go out in style, to have an amazing favorite food, big party, or if you're more of an introvert with just a few of your closest friends, right? Whichever way you'd want to go with that. But you're not thinking, you know what? It's my last meal. I'm going to head to the homeless shelter. I'm going to serve the lowest, the least, the poorest, the most powerless. And here's Jesus, his last meal, and he knows it. One of the people around the table is part of the cause of his death, Um, or the route of it, is perhaps better, because he had to die, and he knew that. And this is what he chooses to do. And John goes further. He tells us that Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. Again, what would you do if you knew that was true, right? Like, who, how are you going to act? Who are you going to be in that moment? And, and, You read verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist and began to serve them. In other words, this is who Jesus is. Faced with his last meal, faced with betrayal, and with the fact that he is king of all of creation, of all of existence, of everything, of eternity and time and the universe and, and all that is and was and ever will be. With those things in mind, he takes off his outer robe, puts on a towel, and begins to wash their feet. Because this is who our Lord is. This is what he has come to do. This is a revelation of the character and the desire and the heart of God. That what he wants more than anything else is to take his children and make them clean. To serve them in the most humble and most needful place. And that's more than just washing feet in a society where nobody does that. I said two things deepen the act of Jesus here. The other one is his teaching that comes at the end. Peter realizes that none of them would do this. And because none of them would do this, neither should their Lord and teacher. And so he says, don't. But this is exactly the point. After he has done this, Jesus puts his outer clothing back on. And we're told that he takes his place. 
and his place is the head of the table. He is the Lord and the teacher, right? And so he sits back down in that position of authority, and he begins to teach. And he says to them, do you realize, do you understand what I've done for you? And then he goes on to say, I have set you an example. But unexpectedly, perhaps, the example is not, I have washed your feet, so wash mine. Right? We, that would still be shocking, but we would get it. We understand reciprocity. Right? We understand that when somebody gives you something, you, you give something back, whether that's a gift and you get into some fun trying to outdo each other, or whether it's an exchange of services or whatever. That's a normal part of our world. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I'm your teacher and Lord, I washed your feet, wash mine. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. What I have done for you, you pass on. Right? And that's a different kind of thing altogether. Now, theologically, it makes sense. God doesn't need anything back from us. He gives us things, and He's not waiting for us to return that in any sense of need. Um, but theologically also, we all come before God owing a great debt. We owe Him everything. We owe Him our existence. Everything we have is from Him, right? We owe Him as our Creator. We also owe Him as our Savior, that He has come in and stepped in to die for us, to defeat evil and sin and death and darkness for us so that we can be reconciled and have new life and walk into eternity with him. So we owe him everything at the beginning of the story and we owe him everything at the end of the story. And what does God do with that debt? Right here, what does Jesus do with that debt? Because this whole thing is symbolic of all of that, right? You start at the beginning and we're told that Jesus knows he has all authority, he has all power over everything. He is the creator God. And then he washes their feet, this incredible humble act of service, which is a precursor to his death on the cross. What he has done in washing their feet, as humbling and lowly and incredible as it is, pales in comparison to what he does on the cross, which is even more humble and even more lowly and even more incredible, where he suffers and dies for us. God suffers and dies that we can be set free and made clean and have new life. And so his actions here take that whole spectrum. And after he's done that, this is why he says to them, do you understand what I've done for you? Because they don't. He even says to Peter, he says, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And then later on, he says, I'm telling you all of this before it happens so that when it happens, you will believe, right? I'm giving you all the pieces now because what's about to happen is going to be so mind-blowingly, ridiculously, unexpected, a story you would never have written, that if I don't tell you ahead of time, you won't get it. And after Jesus dies on the cross, most of the disciples don't get it. They despair. Peter goes back to fishing. The guys on the Emmaus Road head off to go home again. They meet Jesus on the road, and he, he says to them, what's wrong? And they say, well, we had thought he was the Messiah. They've given up. They don't get it. But he's still trying to give them all the pieces. And I wonder how long John thought about this before he wrote it down like he does here, because clearly by the time he wrote it, he got it. He had put the pieces together, and he writes it out here so that we can do the same thing. So he's giving them all of these pieces ahead of time. And then the final piece that he says is what you owe to me, that incredible debt, 
from creation to salvation to eternity, you don't pay that back by giving it to me. You pay that back by giving it to one another. That's what I want you to do with that debt. Next week, we're going to look at the new commandment that comes later on in this chapter um, where he says, this is what I tell you to do, love one another. This is how they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Because the whole thing is about we receive this from God and we pass it on. That's the point. If we receive things from God and we hoard them, we've missed it. That's not what it's for. That's not why he does this. He wants us to be like him, to be sent as he is sent, to live as he lived, to follow his way as we seek to live in his truth and his life. And you can't pull those things apart. We like to sometimes. We like to enjoy the life of Jesus. We're willing to accept and live in the truth of Jesus. But walking the way of Jesus, that's hard because that's the way of the cross. That's the way of humble service. But this is exactly what he says. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, that's what I am. So now that I've done this, you have to do it. It's the call to servanthood. It's the thing, the character trait that ought to mark the lives of all Christians increasingly, right? We learn this as we go. We all make mistakes. We all mess up. The call is not to get it perfect the right time or any time in this life, but to keep seeking to serve. Now, this call is for all Christians. All of us are commanded to walk in this way. And it's a call to do this independently of what we will face as we serve. Jesus washes Judas's feet, knowing what Judas is about to do. We don't get to look at the people around us and say, I'll serve you because you're pretty nice, but you are an awful sinner, so get lost. Sorry, Jesus closed that door. And that's true in and outside of the church. Judas is one of the 12 apostles. If Jesus has a traitor in his inner circle, well, then we're all sinners here in this church. It's not like you can serve the Christians easily and serve the the non-believers and it's more difficult because they're they're more awful. They're not, right? The, The difference is that We know we need help, and we've cried out to Jesus for that help to let him wash our feet and to be made clean, and other people haven't realized that yet, but we're not better. And so we're called to this service, independent of what we face as we do so, and we will face that difficulty, make no mistake. Um, And we are assured as we do so that we are in God's hands and he will bless us. It's the same message as the passage from Isaiah 49 that Pastor Jessica read, where the servant says, my service is useless, but I choose to trust in you, that you have it in hand. He says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus did them. He still died on the cross. So we got to be careful of what we think that means, that we will be blessed. It doesn't mean life will be easy and everything will be perfect and, and so on and so forth. And if we just serve enough, we will have everything we ever wanted. It means that if we do these things, we will be a part of the kingdom of God and we will see God work powerfully through our lives. And that's amazing and really, really good, but not always easy or fun because they're not the same thing. Sometimes people need service that hurts. Now, these commands are particularly applied to those in positions of authority and leadership. And this is one of many passages where Jesus makes that clear. 
He talks about those who want to be the greatest, those who are put in positions of authority, must be the slave of all, must be the servants. There is no leadership in Jesus' church that does not bear the mark and follow the model of our king. It just doesn't work that way. And so um, often at the end of the sermon, I'm coming to an application and I'm saying, this is what we need to do. And we need to do this. But today, and I've told you this is a different kind of service, and this is where we're getting into this. The first application is not on you, it's on, on the leadership of this church. And so we talked as a board and as a staff about how can we model this on a Sunday morning? Um, we don't live in a society where everybody wears open-toed sandals and walks through open sewage, um, or we might have been tempted to wash your feet. <laughs> There's a little bit of it. It's a different time and a different place right now, and that's okay. Um, but at the same time, there's lots of practical service that we can't do on a Sunday morning, right? And so as we talked about this, we thought, you know what? We want to serve you in a way we can here as a symbol of the fact that we, as the leadership of Timbers, as the board of elders, and as the staff, we want to do our best to follow Jesus' teaching. We will never get it perfect, but that's okay. We want to head in the right direction. And so we have, not everybody's present here today, but we have some of our staff and elders, and I'm going to invite our prayer teams to come forward now. So if there are four of you who are praying, could come up over here by the crosses. We're going to do a couple different things. So as I'm explaining this, these four people, um, maybe I should introduce them. This is Greg and Wanda and Stephen and Aressa, and everybody but Aressa are elders on our board, and Aressa is one of our staff. She's our worship administrator and generally awesome encourager. Um, <laughs> and uh, some of the rest of the board and staff, including myself, are going to come up here to serve communion in a few minutes. Um, but what we're going to do is these four, and you guys can start this right now, are going to hand out some pieces of paper and some pencils, and you get a chance to write down anything you need prayer for. And when you're ready, you can come up to the cross and lay it in the basket before Jesus. And our commitment to you is that we are going to take these prayer requests and pray for them over the course of this week, and likely beyond, because I know our board and staff, and once they've read them, they're going to sit on their hearts for a while. Um, but, but we are committing to do that. Now, you can leave them anonymous. You can put a name on there. If you want us to get in touch with you about something, you can write down contact information, however you'd like this to look. These same four people are going to be on the edges, and if, as you've thought about how you need prayer and written this down, you would like to receive prayer right now, then just go to them. You can still put your paper in the basket. That's fine. We still want to pray for you over the week. Um, go to them and receive prayer this morning. Now, at the same time that that's going on, we are also going to serve communion. Jesus, at this same meal that we are going to be walking through over the next several weeks leading up to Easter took the bread and he took the cup and he blessed them and he gave thanks and he said, this cup is the new covenant written in my blood given for you and this bread is my, my body given for you and we are commanded to take part in these things in remembrance of who he is and what he's done in dying for us, in washing our feet, in teaching and in living and in being raised from the dead. And so in the same way that we are going to be serving you as praying for you now and praying for you over the course of this week, we are going to be serving you by serving you the Lord's Supper, which is a celebration 
and a time of remembrance of who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's called us to. And so um, I'm also going to call our communion team up now. And so I'm part of this team, as is my wife, Christina, and two more of our elders. This is Richard, our chairman of the board, and coming over here is Christy. And uh, I will say that all of these people are amazing. You can just stay here for now. Um, So how we work this today is you get to take some time to think and to pray about what you want to write down. If you want to turn to the people around you and pray, you can. If you want to get prayer up here, you can. You put the prayer in the baskets, you come receive communion, and you head to your seats. And for the communion, um, you can partake immediately upon receiving it. You can take it back to your seat for a time of reflection, however you need to do that before the Lord. If you are here this morning and you have mobility issues, and we're asking you to come to the front and it's this nice slanted aisle and that's difficult, uh, we are happy to come to you. Um, or you can get someone next to you to help you and serve you in that way, either way. Catch the eye of one of the servers or one of the prayer team, let them know what you need, send someone up here and tell us, however you want to do that, uh, we will make this work for you. Now, hopefully that's all clear. It is more instructions than usual. Let's pray together, and then um, while you guys begin to write stuff down, we're going to serve communion to one another and the worship team. The principle there is very straightforward, which is that you don't need us. You need Jesus, and we want to be serving you out of his fullness. And so we serve one another, and then we serve you. And then whenever you're ready, you take your time, you come forward, um, and in a little bit, when it looks like we're heading towards the end, Ken and Lenora will lead us in worship again. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being a servant. Thank you for calling us to something that is difficult. Thank you that we can hear that again this morning. And we pray that you would guide us, give us wisdom and strength and courage and humility to follow in your footsteps. We ask that we would experience your blessing as we do this, that we would see more and more of your kingdom in our own lives, the lives of our family and friends and neighbors and coworkers, um, and in the world. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.